This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. I am super grateful to be joined today by Will Basta, who is an eight-figure e-com entrepreneur, investor, uh, real estate investor, and a venture capitalist. He's a co-founder and CRO of Ascend Ecom, which is his vertically integrated uh, automation agency that mixes logistics, wholesale distribution, and store management all into one. Will, what's going on, brother? Hey, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you too, man. So. I would love to just kind of dive into to your story, your background, um, and get an idea for what brought you to this point in your life, because where you're at, you know, is, I think, something that a lot of people aspire to, uh, especially in this online ecosystem, where e-com is such a big opportunity. So talk a little bit about your journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it's an interesting background uh, in terms of how this came to be, but you know, I've after having conversations about my, my background in general, generally this summer, I've I've been able to connect the dots a little bit more of, of how I sort of led here, led myself to where I am now. Um, but I actually, my extensive background is in the tech industry. Um, I worked partnerships, sales, marketing for a lot of startups in health tech. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the this small kind of startup environment because there are a lot of, believe it or not, even though it's a W2 position, there's a lot of parallels between startup environment and entrepreneurialism. Yeah. And I think that's where I started connecting the dots because when I was working for the startups, you're wearing a bunch of different hats, right? You know, I, I was about eight to 10 years in, in the health tech industry and your, your position might be this, but you're doing 10 other things at once. <laughs> That's essentially what entrepreneurs are doing as well, right? Yes. Um, and, on, and on top of that, you know, there's there's the ability to be part of something that's innovative, um, that's changing the game in the health tech arena. And so I really strived, you know, in that industry for a while. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And during that period of time, I was also sort of investing in, you know, where I had my my comfortable salary, et cetera. But I was I was, you know, dabbling in the digital space. You know, whether it's a little bit of stock trading here and there, whether it's the crypto environment, whether it's a little bit of Amazon here and there, really learning the back end of e-commerce and having your failures, a little bit of success here and there, digital marketing, pretty much all of those, just dipping my toes in all in the, in the entire industry as a whole. And, and, you know, about a few years ago, being pretty educated on the space, my business partner and I decided to invest in an automation mm -hmm. opportunity, right? A lot of these companies were popping up. You probably heard of them, and, and your listeners probably know of them. You know they're all over the place, right? And they were they started to pop up a lot about yeah. three to five years ago. And on the surface, everything seems beautiful about the opportunity, right? Yeah. You now you pay an upfront fee as an investor. You don't have to do anything. That expert will take that money and then pretty much build you a profitable business on Shopify, Amazon. You sort of name it. And then you could sit back and collect the check and then you just pay them part of the profit, right? So it sounds beautiful, it sounds almost good to be true. And yeah. so we invest in that, you know, with a weary mindset. Yeah. And, but also an analytical approach of like, okay, how is this actually done? And, you know, really taking, really seeing the, the industry unfold as an ineffective 
you know, group of providers out there and, and really just the inefficiency was across the board. Everything from ethics at the top with leadership across the board with these companies to really not having a real infrastructure. Yes, we are in a digital world right now, but this kind of business, even though you're purchasing stuff online, a real solidified infrastructure, physical brick and mortar is actually pretty important for the supply chain of this and doing that in-house, right? And so we just saw gaps all around the industry. And a few months in, my business partner and I, you know, he was getting his MBA at University of Michigan. I was still employed at that time. We said, hey, you know what? We, with our experience, our business mindset, how we've done this stuff in the past, me building up startups, et cetera, let's take this model that's essentially really broken, but has a lot of potential. Let's take this, refine this process, restructure it, flip the script on how it's actually done. Don't be greedy with the process, build the real infrastructure out, focus on logistics, supply chain, non-outsourcing teammates, really building an organic, strong company at the heart and you know treat our customers right <laughs> and let's start out this model and see what we can do what we think and know we can do and we did that at a slow pace with a few customers few clients here and there and really wanted to prove out our model it's all a lot of success there organic growth without even running ads and then in the beginning of early 2021 we you know after about eight to nine months of doing it we said hey you know let's 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 take this to the next level. We have something special here. No one else, surprisingly, no one else in the industry is really focusing on sustainability. They're not focusing on the long-term aspect of this kind of investment. Mm -hmm. um, and they're cutting corners everywhere, and we're obviously not. And that's why we're going to be at the head of the pack. And you, know, you fast forward to now, we're you know, somewhere, I don't know the exact number, roughly we're nearing on 500 clients. Um, we got two warehouse facilities in Dallas that are exclusively ours. Nice. No one else sends their products there. It's strictly Ascend employees, strictly Ascend client products. Those are two facilities in Dallas, Texas. We've got the office here in Los Angeles, which we have clients visit, uh, prospective and current clients come all the time. We've done millions of revenue for our clients thus far, and we run essentially a hybrid model that mitigates risks across the platform. We don't break any rules of TOS, but we also focus on private labeling. We're a wholesale distributor as well as send distribution. So we get volume discounts for our clients. Uh, and then we also have an awesome model called high frequency reselling, which I can touch on a little bit later. So we bring it all into one and our focus, the last thing I really touch on here, which I, I love to really talk about, because yeah, people love the idea of passive income, right? That's a huge, huge thing. Everyone wants to invest in something. and and essentially have that kind of supplementary income, which is great. And that's what this can provide. But one thing we cannot forget about is the fact that if this is done right, mm -hmm. these are digital assets yep. and this is digital real estate and yep. this is appreciating over time. And these are valued if they're done right. So we build every business out in the manner where you know that evaluation is going to be optimal if yep. you wanted to exit in 36 months. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to you know the the business model itself and the opportunities and the gaps that you spotted to to innovate on um, what are some of those levers um, or points of differentiation that that you saw and capitalized on with with your business model specifically but also the the offering that you bring bring forward yeah yeah so there's a handful I mean I'll start with one that's extremely important and I'm not saying every provider, I'm not trying to brush everyone with the same, you know, brush, <laughs> paint everyone with the same brush, whatever that saying may be. Um, I know there are some good companies out there, don't get me wrong, but ethics is a huge issue uh, yeah. in this industry. There's yeah. a great model here, but there's too many people taking advantage of people who aren't aware of yeah. the industry and how it works. Right. And that does not fly with us. You know, we're not a perfect company, but when we have issues, we face them head on with clients and we make sure we do right by clients. 
And our goal is to bring value no matter what the hiccup may be. So that's number one. We're coming in off the bat with an ethically sound approach to the actual business model, which is extremely important. That also leads into how we treat our employees, which has a trickle down effect to how they interact with our clients. So there's that, which every company should have that, but unfortunately that's not the case in all industries, right? That's not, there's that one. And then there's also the concept around how is the company focusing its resources? When you look at a management company for automation, right? You are essentially looking at managing their Amazon business. And that's that's the automation aspect on the platform. Most companies have focused on that initial part, right? Managing the seller platform. And then everything else they're doing before that is piecemeal together with third party, right? When I say third party, they are, if they say they have their own warehouse, I would dig a little bit deeper into that. This goes into our transparency aspect of ethics. Most of the time they're using a third party logistics center. That is a warehouse, which they can call theirs but is shared with multiple other companies from multiple different industries. Not only does that pretty much get rid of the aspect of prioritization of your client's products, the lead time is a lot longer to get it out of the warehouse and get it to a customer or to Amazon, FBA warehousing. And then on top of that, they're charging a per package fee to repackage products, which is insane. Um, upwards of $3 sometimes. So we do all of that exclusively in-house. And we also don't outsource any of our any of our team. So. Are we have we do have a team in the Philippines? That team in the Philippines, the director of our office, his aunt actually is our warehouse manager in Dallas. So this is not some kind of oh, let's gather a bunch of VAs across the world and have them just like half-ass our clients' businesses. This yeah. is actually homegrown, office built abroad, 80 employees in the US, intertwined all for the betterment of all of our clients' businesses. That changes a lot of things in terms of the outcome, in terms of how we innovate, um, in terms of how things sort of progress. Uh, and then the other thing I want to touch on is the business model as a whole. Yes, so please. we don't silo ourselves into just wholesale FBA. Mm -hmm. We don't silo ourselves into just an arbitrage model that's compliant or just one product private label. We actually touch on all of those and we do those in a manner that can compound in progress over over months. So we start every business out with a wholesale model, right? You have limited inventory options as an FBA, but you want to gain trust with Amazon. So we build every business out as a wholesaling FBA model first. And then month four to six, we start to sprinkle in high frequency reselling, which is essentially a compliant version of drop shipping where those products that are getting bought from customers are not actually purchased at from our clients. We actually put products ahead of time. Once they actually get purchased, we then source them from the supplier and then send them directly to our warehouse day of or 24 hour shipping. We have a team that specializes that does day in, day out, flipping and repackaging those products and sending them directly to the customer. That's an FBM program, right? That adds to about 30 to 40% of the revenue um, once we get the store a little bit established. And then for clients that are a little bit more complex and understand the value of private label, which everyone should eventually, but some might not want to do it upfront. We also do private label and we have a, a, a team in there that that we built and we trained from the ground up that focuses strictly on private label branding. So we're hitting on three different fulfillment and product sourcing models into one, and it gives malleability and capital allocation for our clients working capital. You know, mm -hmm. if a wholesaler is running out, we can we can put more resources into this model, et cetera. You have to make sure you can mitigate risk across the fulfillment categories and the product categories and how you're actually getting these products. And so we do that to mitigate risk, but also to bring value to the business in the long term. Because mm -hmm. if you are successful in all three of those models, 
even if you don't sell our management services with it and you wanted to sell your store down the line, I mean, you're getting, you know, you're covering a lot of ground there. And it just, at the end of the day, it just appreciates more as a value of your business. Yeah, and I want to get into that a little bit too. And feel free to to divulge kind of as much or as little into yeah. this as you want. Um, but from the numbers aspect, I guess part one is specific to your business. Like, what what do you guys offer in terms of your profit split with with your clients, and how do you kind of coach your clients on expectations and manage those? You know, within the first six months, year, two years down the line, and then um, what are some questions or things people should keep in mind about? you know, the revenue growth and, and the profitability in terms of what they can take out of the store. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so I'll just touch on the, on the models first in terms of pricing, you know, so we have an entry point as low, this is not really that common, but you can get in as low as 20,000. Um, okay. That essentially gives you a 50-50 net profit split. Uh, but, you know, the most commonly, um, the most common package is, is is generally the 35 or the 40k 40k is a 70 30 split 70 percent net profits to the client yeah um 30 to us and then 30k is 60 40 um same turn 60 percent to the clients and uh 40 to us our add-ons we have private label at you know a per product um price we also do bundles so if you were to get an amazon and a walmart which Walmart is a category we should talk about here eventually um, because I have a lot of information around that and, and how big of an opportunity that is too. But we always focus on the sustainable model first, which is Amazon if you're new to e-commerce. Um, but if you want to jump into both at the same time, we do a bundle there with a $15,000 discount. So you can get two 40K packages for $65,000. Um, that includes everything. We don't have renewal fees. Uh, there might be a fluctuating rough cost of some supplier membership fees that come into play. Uh, some a couple outside costs. Nothing is going directly to us, and nothing, nothing substantial. And we always make sure that we run it by you first, right? So that's number one. Uh, in terms of uh, your your next, sorry, I'm lost. I lost the second part of the question. It had to do with um, leveraging working capital. Is that what it was? And 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 withdrawing out profits. Yeah, yeah. And essentially, uh, how do you kind of expectation set in terms of? Yeah, profit? yeah. Which is extremely, extremely important. We actually never talk. I mean, obviously, this question comes up if you're investing in this. Like, how much money yeah. can I make? Right. Is the long term goal here, right? But if we lead this this conversation with our our, our partnership team for you know intro calls. We're not talking about how much you can make the first three five months. That's not what this is about. Yes, at the end of the day, it is. But this is really about building a business in the right manner. That at the end of the day is going to be more successful than any business that talks about how much money you're going to make in the first six months because that's a huge red flag. So to sort of after I just said that, I just wanted to set that <laughs> that first um, as a precedent here. But but ultimately, you know, your first six months are fairly slow. You know, you could sign with us, have your first products listed in your first sale within 60 days. That's possible. Roughly, that's generally how it works. 60 to 90 days is your first sales come in from starting with us. Um, you can hit some traction sometimes four or five months in. Some clients, it happens at eight months in. When I'm saying traction, I'm saying, oh, you have a, we had a client on their on their fourth month, just have a $5,000 week out of nowhere. They had a product just, just skyrocketed algorithmically. Amazon said, hey, this is where it's at. <laughs> and it just, it worked, right? Um, sooner than we expected. So that can happen, but about eight, generally about 80% of your revenue in the first year comes from six to 12 of your first 12 months. Okay. So we're looking at, if you are investing 40 grand, we want to make sure that you have at least 40 grand in, in working capital by the sixth month. So match your upfront investment with working capital, credit lines, business credit, however you want to provide that um, to be 
to be able to have us not have our hands tied for growth in the first growth trajectory in the first year. We like to look at people breaking even the first 10 to, or 12 to 14 months. Again, it's been earlier than that. We're big on under promising and over delivering, you know, but a lot of that break even, you might look at it and be like, I'm oh, month four, I don't see that happening in 12 months, but we've seen stores literally make up 90% of the revenue month eight to 12 after their first sale. So that does happen. And that's, that's how we sort of lay out the foundation. But at the end of the day, we have people ask for financial models and we keep updating them. And there's a lot of ways you can look at a financial model, but I'm not a big believer in that in this industry, considering there's so many variables and so many things that change. So how we like to set this up is that, hey, we're going, this is a partnership number one. Goal number one, goal number one, no matter what, is get your investment back. You invest 40K with us, let's make that back number one. Let's do benchmarks here. So our first initial goal, revenue wise, is to get you to make your investment back. Then everyone's in the clear, right? But generally the real timeline of that is 12 to 14 months. Year two is when things really take flight. And year, if you wanted to average out your first year in profit, you know, monthly, and this is a huge variance here, you can have zero your first three months and you can have seven grand of profit each month, month 10 to 12, right? It's roughly around like two to four grand per month. Uh, that being said, most people break even the first year and year two is when we want to get you, if you have the right working capital, hopefully break that five figure um, monthly that target net net profit target but on average people are, are pulling in seven to nine thousand once they're fully established monthly and a lot of the times they're they have expanded it's not that we can't go higher our biggest client ever did 29 grand in a month net but we have to look at it this way there's also diversification within e-commerce right. you can come to us and say you have a million dollars of working capital and you want to open one store that's great, but I would never advise pumping a million dollars worth in capital in one store or waiting until you can. Right. You buy a portfolio of businesses, you mitigate risk across the platform, you get multiple Amazons, multiple Walmarts, whatever it may be, because each store is gonna have a different product mix, different trajectory, will hit mm -hmm. it straight at a different time, gives you the flexibility to sell one when and if you want to and keep one for cash profit. That's going on daily, right? And, and it just gives you the ability to also strategize you want to pump more private label into a business on one and favor that more because that has a lot of value if that takes off that can make your store worth a shitload of money mm -hmm. so anyway that's i don't want to dive too deep in that but that's essentially where it is at a high level no that that's great i actually i would love to to get a little deeper into into that so both i guess kind of diversification but also opportunities um you know for the average investor so let's say somebody comes to you you know um, they've got, I don't know, 15 to 30K in working capital um, to, to inject into their, to their program. Um, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this. What, what are your most successful clients looking at in terms of their overall portfolio strategy? Yeah, so I would, I would say, you know, the clients that are in the top 10% generally, and this is, does not mean you can't invest if you only have 15k to start we have some clients who literally they're in the middle of doing something else investment wise or they're building yeah. on certain things and they might only have 10k working capital at the beginning and that is fine because the yeah. sooner you start your business sooner yeah. it ages the sooner right. it develops maturity and the sooner it's primed to actually pump that working capital into it right so we we can say you can come on board with us and buy a 40k package and only have 10k credit line in the beginning and that's fine mm -hmm. we will work with that in the beginning because at the end of the day we're not going to be pumping a lot of money in the beginning anyway because amazon payouts are fragmented we don't want you to be stuck with any kind of bills because they're holding some money in your first six months because amazon likes to do that for new sellers 
Um, there's no rhyme or reason specifically of why they hold reserves sometimes. But the point is, we want to make sure you're cash flowing so you can pay down your cards as they come through, right? And this is another topic, and I'll jump on this in a minute, but it's good to be using business credit for working capital. But at the end of the day, if you look at, you know, pretty much our entire client base, the most successful clients are probably in the, they probably have somewhere between 50 and 80 grand in credit limits for us to work with. Um, gives them flexibility on profit, gives them the ability to also hit a hundred grand month um, to get to that point. Uh, and again, most of that is getting injected in year two, not in the beginning. Where I'm trying to get at with this is people are at a different pace and it's understandable. We don't expect everyone to, to come in with the exact same amount of money and have the exact same goals. All we want to make sure is that your credit is good and you plan on having sufficient credit the second half of the year, right? For this business or else our hands are tied and we can't essentially guarantee you your investment, which we do guarantee everyone's investment, if we don't have money to work with, then it's just a sitting duck, right? Um, but the first six months are a building block phase anyway. So the way you want to look at it, and this is a very conservative approach, I'm talking about a 20% margin here, which we have upwards of, you know, sometimes 80% margins on some on some products. I mean, it varies and as low as 8%. You know, the, the clients that have the low margin products are generally early clients because we do early margin. We drop prices low in the beginning to get traction on the store. Right. So you might see your profit sheet is like 8% for a product. That's fine. It's going to go up after that. The whole point here is to get movement on your store, right? After six months, when you see that, it means your working capital limits are probably pretty high. And that's a high volume play of product. So that means that product specifically is probably selling a shitload of units per day. Sorry for my French, selling, you know, two, 300 units a day, whatever it may be. The margins might be low, but at the end of the day, you're making a lot of money because you're selling a lot of it and you have more capital to pump into it. So it's not putting an effect on your on your actual working capital. And someone who's got 20K working capital, we're a little more particular in what we're buying. We want higher margin because there's less room. There's less wiggle room in terms of spend. Right, uh, right. I'm not sure that answers your question. Yeah, it, that that's great. So going off of that, you know, are you asking your clients, you know, for a ballpark of what they're going to be be able to put into the store before they even make that investment and then second part of that question what are some of those top categories and or products that um that you're aligning with with individual clients when they come in yeah yeah so you know it, contractually in our agreement uh i believe it's at six, the six month point you need to have a minimum of twenty-five thousand in working capital you know and you know it's a contract yes we have ways of working around that you know we can dive into you know, potentially redlining some of that based on your actual situation. We just historically don't want to get involved with someone who is going to be with their hands tied, you know, at that at that point. Um, but it gives you time to get there. There are also are a lot of courses out there and people selling programs to build business credit, acquire credit, all of that. We can advise you on a lot of this at no cost. Uh, we, you know, we have partners in American Express. We have partners in the funding industry. There's, there's ways to get around this and also source this kind of credit uh, in a manner that you know, that means you can, that's a lot easier than people actually think or assume as long as your personal credit is good in the beginning, which I recommend is 675 or higher, 680 or higher, 700 or better is probably best. In terms of product categories, so this is a fully loaded answer or a fully loaded question, I should yeah. say, uh, but I'll touch on a few different things here. So there's the categories on Amazon that are growing substantially, right? Which is food, right? Food has got, it's probably the, one of the biggest growth categories on Amazon, personal care items, cosmetics, beauty, etc. cetera. Uh, and then one that I really like to touch on is actually automotive, which is extremely interesting because because Walmart used to be the, now they're actually head on, I think, 
pretty much at level with, with Amazon in terms of who goes where for automotive parts. But the funny thing here is that Amazon is still lacking a lot of automotive parts. So I see a lot of potential in the automotive side uh, on Amazon for our clients. You have to engage a lot of categories too. You can't just, someone can't just open up an account and start selling automotive and food. You know, there's, you're restricted essentially. We know how to engage these categories. That's a whole other conversation too. But those, those kind of product categories are emerging. And, you know, we actually have a supplement business, Jeremy and I, the other founder, we've got three of those. So we're also seeing data getting pulled on, on the supplement and the, and the wellness industry as well, um, which we sometimes, you know, we look at the idea of that and, and how can we expand portfolios in this industry? We, so we are pulling data also on company stores. We're testing product on our also personal company stores as well, where we're saying, hey, this strategy is here. Let's make sure it works first before we put a comp, uh, client's money on the line. But those are those are evolving categories that are are definitely growing at like a 15 to 20% growth rate. Uh, you have saturated categories like electronics. I mean, everyone sells electronics on Amazon. I would steer away from that. Uh, one thing that we've seen and we still have a lot of success with right now, which we've been capitalizing on, and this can apply for a lot of different, a lot of different product categories is, but it's really, really important now, given the fact that we are past the pandemic, right? And hospitality is booming, especially through this summer. Uh, people are going out all the time now, right? Because they didn't for a while. A lot of restaurants, a lot of hospitality companies had wholesalers, right? They had direct wholesalers of which they bought takeaway items, of which they bought, you know, forks, knives, whatever it may be. Those wholesalers did not prepare for that growth. They are then running out of these products. Where are these restaurants going to go buy stuff now? Amazon. So we have taken massive advantage of that with a lot of our clients by selling essentially hospitality products, restaurant, dinnerware, stuff like that, takeaway stuff that in bulk quantities on Amazon. And we've seen a huge growth trajectory on that specifically for those reasons. There's obviously a lot more data points behind that, but that's pretty exciting. I'm not sure how long that bubble will last, but uh, at the end of the day, it gives you an idea of how we approach things. You know, we when we're sourcing products, and you might ask a question about data already on this, but a big thing here is you look at historical data, you look at predicted data, you yeah. look at like what's trending. Yeah. You need to be careful on the trending aspect and the stable product categories and make sure that you are, you know, at the end of the day, you can't fully predict everything, right? So we use multiple softwares and we use a lot of this data and we pretty much take our risks where we know product categories will last for a certain period of time, but we have a good balance in making sure that algorithmically we're not putting too much weight on one, whether it's a predictive category where something is trending, because if that's just a bubble, then it can be pretty dangerous, right? But we also need to make sure that that catalog for that client, they have stuff that is seasonal, that does really well, you know, yeah. certain times of the year, and that's doing well all times of the year. So we like to mix up, you can look at John Doe's store, who's six months in, you know, he could be selling, you know, olive oil, so I'm just looking at something, you could be selling olive oil, you know, uh, an automotive part and a workout gear, Barbie dolls and, you know, potting plants. Like there's no specific, unless we get into private labeling, every client's store is generalized and they're going to be selling a bunch of stuff. Pretty much what the data is telling us is going to make them money. Got it. Okay. So that's, that was going to be my next question. So when you're building out these stores, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's really no, it's based on strictly on data, right? There's no emotional kind of choosing unless it's a seasonal type of situation, you know, where there's something that you know is going to be. Yeah. Planned. 
Yeah, we get that question all the time about the emotional side of thing. I don't say emotional, but more of like that. I have a passion right, right. project or whatever. And yeah, that's that's beautiful. But the, the investment for this, it, the people invest in this, it's essentially make money, right? So we're sourcing products that we know are going to make money, right? That's number one on all of our models, except for private label. You can sort of dabble a little bit with a passion project. So if you are essentially like you want to open up a category on private label for us, and you want us to develop a brand for you, you're big into the athletic thing or wellness or whatever, we can then do research in those categories for you. And if we find something that is viable, we can start in that category, right? So there is the flexibility to that extent. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's only on private label. When it comes down to wholesale and everything else, you can tell us what you don't want us to sell because we have some clients that are, you know, they don't want us to have stuff with plastic, you know, environment, environmental, you know, reasons, sure. plastic wrap, stuff like that. Understandable reasons like that, whatever it may be, we yeah. can do a process of elimination. <laughs> and take out what you don't want us to sell. But other than that, it's sort of free range and it's all about the data. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I do wanna give us a chance to come back to something you mentioned earlier. So from a diversification standpoint, um, and I know we could go on and on with Amazon, but talk to me about the other opportunities you're seeing and that you're implementing, um, including but not limited to Facebook Marketplace, not sure if you guys dabble there, but also Walmart yeah. and the opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, so there, there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon right now. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple things I do want to touch on first, besides the platforms, and this is inclusive of the platforms in general. We, and this is this is future send, we are looking at international markets for investors. Um, so there's US obviously, which is growing, but it's already pretty established, right? It's got 11, I think roughly 11% um, growth rate. Uh, if you look at Amazon, Canada, UK, Germany, Italy, they are almost double that. So Canada is actually number one behind behind US, which I'm not really surprised of, right? Because the proximity, etc. Then you have UK and Germany. These are markets that have so much potential ahead of them, have so much growth ahead of them, <laughs> or selling in categories that are not saturated, yep. that Amazon is investing like crazy in FBA warehousing, right? Okay. So we are looking, we are right now currently testing the Canadian market as we speak, right? These are categories that we can open up for clients that are already with us and we can bring them into selling into Canada, selling into the UK, selling into the EU in general, right? And there's massive upside there. Um, and that's something we're working on on the back end. So that is a huge, that's a huge lever to pull over the next two to three years on our side and a whole other massive blue sea of opportunity. And we've already been out to the UK a couple of times and actually talked about this in general about what the opportunity is and, and where we would start essentially. So that's one I just wanted to touch on briefly. Yeah. Uh, and also there's, I mean, even in South America too, we have we're having some talks in Chile as well. There's a lot of growth going on around the world. It's not just the US. And as a US seller, you can capitalize on that if you have the right partner. Uh, so there's that. There is obviously Facebook, you know, we aren't doing Facebook right now. We honestly, there is a lot of opportunity there. It's still slightly finicky and a little too high risk for us to add to our, our portfolio uh, for offerings. And the reason why I say that is because Facebook is still sort of figuring out, just like Walmart sort of still is a little bit, how this, how to attack this volume, how to be compliant. And you just don't know how they're going to pull the next, you know, they, they like to suspend stores for no reason. It's easy to get them unsuspended on Facebook, but there is a lot of opportunity there. But right now we're, we haven't seen enough stuff in terms of sustainability 
for us to add that on. It's very, very close. And we are very big sticklers when it comes down to, to sustainable opportunities for our clients. We don't want to throw them into the, you know, into the storm. So sure. we are testing Facebook right now. We have two Facebook stores that we're testing. So yep. that is a huge opportunity regardless. Not gonna, not gonna say it's not. Walmart, massive opportunity. Walmart is, there's under 200,000 sellers on Walmart. Walmart's got more brick and mar- they have more marketing. <laughs> like there's 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart, right? So take that into consideration, right? Not only is that brick and mortar marketing, everywhere, (laughs) but they can also leverage their brick and mortar facilities, which is way more than FBA facility, which is not even the same exact thing as where I'm going with this, or way more than, I'm not sure exactly how how many Amazon lockers there are, but the capacity of these lockers are not that good. You can pick up at Walmart stores. So that's a huge initiative in growing the e-commerce sector for Walmart is leveraging their actual stores that are already fucking everywhere in the US. As a, as a means of growing their logistics and growing their actual customers online. You also have what the pandemic did, which I speak about this every time, which is very important to understand. Yes, there might've been a slight bubble in the pandemic with e-commerce. It's still, it's still right now way ahead than where it was predicted to be prior to the pandemic in terms of growth. I think it's about 15 to 16% of the US retail sales market at the moment. Uh, that, that being said, you know, Jane Doe, who used to, pick the kids up from school, then go to Walmart to pick up her items, you know, every day or every other day or whatever. The pandemic pretty much caused her to drive by Walmart and go to walmart.com. Right. Jane has never spot online prior to the pandemic. Now Jane is extremely comfortable with purchasing stuff online and is used to it. And that is probably 50% or more of her actual retail activity at this moment. So you, <laughs> the pandemic did is it brought on it brought on new buyers and new e-commerce mm-hmm. uh, customers that are now customers for life. So Walmart's got a huge opportunity. Their program is a little bit finicky still. When I say that, I mean their seller platform has a lot of advan- advancements it needs in terms of just the technology. Um, but that being said, it is great to add. Some margins are high. There's way less competition. There's so many categories to sell in. And that's normally the second step for investors with us is you bring them on on Amazon and then well, or they can do both at once. Mm-hmm. And the, the expansion would be to add Walmart to your portfolio. And if you have yeah. private label, we can even cross and wholesale. We can cross sell on both platforms. And yep. then you can see how the volume is more on Amazon, but the margins are higher on Walmart. So it's good to sort of balance your portfolio out that way. Yes, for sure. And I, I also want to get your, your perspective, kind of zooming out from a, a bit of a macro look at things like what what does this influx of, you know, individual buyers or sorry, individual sellers um, do to the e-com space in general or just the Amazon platform? And then how is that impacting buyers when it comes to finding the products that they want? So you're saying, just to, to sort of rephrase that, you're saying the the volume of oops, one of my headphones went out. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> My right one just went out. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, when it comes down to uh, to the volume of new sellers, how that's affecting customers sort of, or customers who shop online, like their exactly. trends or what they're... Uh, yeah. I mean, th- that's an interesting question, actually. I've never gotten asked that before. I don't really know the, the specific data on that, but I, the, you know, there's... To sell online these days, you know, there's you can look at the saturation aspect, right? You can say, hey, Amazon saturated, 
everyone's selling online, everyone's in e-commerce, like yeah. it's too late or whatever. Yeah. The thing about that though, is that most of these sellers that are just coming on board, a lot of them don't really have an infrastructure in place or a real right. strategy. Right. So I could look at those 3 million Amazon sellers and, and it's roughly that. I see numbers from 2.1 million to 3.5 in North America. I don't know the exact number because how they actually look at it, you know, active an active account could also not be selling at the moment, right? right. Let's just say 3 million for, for this. And I can cut that into a third immediately and say that under a million of them are actually competitive to Ascend clients because two million of them are a mix of people that are doing stuff that are non-compliant on the platform, right? Which means they're not gonna last. Um, they are selling one product. They don't have, they have a ceiling for scalability. So they're selling out of their garage. They're directly in one niche or they're just a corporation that has their own brand and they're only, yeah, again, selling their own brand. So those are not really competitors to us, right? So you break that down and you look at like, who's actually competitive on the platform, companies that actually have real infrastructure and essentially, you know, can actually set up for scale and keep growing as things evolve and have the resources to adapt as it evolves. How that ties into customer trends, I'm not necessarily sure, but I do know that a reason why we, you know, initially, I just mentioned, you know, in the beginning of this podcast, how we like to mitigate risk and have different fulfillment strategies, right? We are putting a larger emphasis right now, not larger than FBA in general, but we're growing our FBM category even more at the moment because the trends that we're seeing in drop subscriptions of FBA due to the economic environment has seen a rise in FBM sales, sales. So, you know, there's data points like that where with the recession that we're essentially in or dropping into and inflation, you know, people are dropping their annual subscriptions on things and stuff like that. But they're still buying stuff online on Amazon. I don't think it's a wise move to drop your Prime subscription because you're gonna save money in the long run. But my whole point is, is that necessities are being sold from us. We sell necessities, right? We sell detergent, we sell cooking supplies, we sell stuff that you need regardless right. of the economic environment. So right. people will be buying from us and we also sell them on Prime and on non-Prime. So there's no customers left out. Um, so that's, I don't want to give you a political answer. With I can't hear you. Looks like you, you're on mute, I think. I think you're on mute. There you go, sorry. There we go. Yeah, apologies about that, listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, that's what happens to you. Don't charge your AirPods in time. But um, yeah, so at the end of the day, that's that's essentially where it's at. It's, it's making sure that there's no customers that we're not reaching when it comes down to our infrastructure, FBM, FBA, you know, necessity products which we're focusing on a lot more because yeah. with the you know obviously when people have less money you know the impulse of buys are always going to be there but you know it's more important to buy cooking oil than to buy you know some kind of toy sure kind of thing. <laughs> you know so yep and then you know just kind of to to wrap things up here i always like to kind of ask a personal uh a more personal question so I know just looking at your Instagram, you're a world traveler, you know, you're very much um, living, you know, an amazing lifestyle that you built and created for yourself. What is your long term go goal with the company or just yeah. personally, like, what are you looking to create? Um, yes, I, you know, the, tra the travel aspect of me has always been there. Prior to Ascend, I've always worked remotely. So yeah. I've never had an office. It's not a pandemic thing. It's not an Ascend thing. Um, the freedom and the therapeutic feeling I get out of traveling has been with me since I was 15. Me too. Um, I skip prom and I backpack Central America. 
<laughs> like that's been in my blood, you know what I mean? Forever. Uh, fortunately now, you know, I, when I do travel, I, I, I still have to run a company. So it's not always going out, man. I'm still living while I'm abroad. I do it in longer periods, that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, when it comes down to future goals with this, you know, I'm invested in a lot of other things besides Ascend. Ascend is our baby though. And there's so much more growth ahead and so much more opportunity ahead and value to bring our clients. So as of right now, there's no plans on selling it or anything like that. It's just expansion and more value that we want to bring the clients online, expand internationally as well. I have a network in the UK also to open up this opportunity for international investors as well. So we want to also start providing this opportunity to people outside of the US um, as investors who want to capitalize on this now this year. It is essentially e-commerce is, is crossing the $5 trillion market line. So it's got so much more growth. Eight, I think it's yeah. going to be eight trillion by 2027 or something like that I was reading. Um, but there's the Ascend vision of where I'm going with this, but also we have a real estate portfolio that we're building out. And um, also me personally, I've invested in real estate internationally as well. So I hope to expand on sort of a hospitality thing internationally too. And, you know, I, I would like to say that everything that I do and everything that Biz Jeremy does in terms of our personal investments, ones that we do together outside of Ascend, the back of our mind, we're always looking at how can we actually turn this into potentially a done for you investment offering for our Ascend clients. Because we look at our clients as an investor network and yes. as people that are going to be with us for a very long time and that don't have time, but they, they'd like to invest in alternative investments, right? Especially if you bring value once, they'll come back if they want to invest in something else and, and you've earned their trust, right? So we are looking at options that we can automate. And I'm talking about everything from the luxury rental business, car rental business to potentially Airbnb that still need to vet that out to real estate options. There's just a lot of things out there. Um, we vet them out first, but our minds are always circling back to Ascend Ecom and the growing network of 500 clients we have that pretty much are open to investing in things that, that are proven by us. So, yeah, I love that. I love that vision. I think that that's the right play from a, from a scale and growth perspective. Um, man, that's, that's very inspiring um, for me and, and I'm sure for our listeners too, Will. Uh, man, keep, keep up the great work, you know, and this is incredible. Um, thank you so much for your time. For people that want to learn more about Ascend and connect with you, where can they do so? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we just revamped our website. So www.ascendecom. So that's ascendecom.com. You can book a call, call with us there, learn about some of our programs. There's also some publications on there, Forbes. Uh, we put every podcast that we do on there as well. That kind of stuff. Um, our Instagram handle um, updates pretty much daily on that. That's ascend underscore ECOM, A-S-C-E-N-D underscore ECOM. And then we obviously have our YouTube channel. We sort of cross post on all of that. TikTok is something we're pretty much like, we don't emphasize, but it's there. <laughs> um, that being said, yeah, that's where you can reach out to us and, and schedule a call. But man, it's been awesome chatting with you. I hope to come back on again. Maybe we do like an update six months or something like that and sort of see how things are out on both sides. Yeah, let's do it, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You take care. You too. Hey guys, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to rate, review, comment, and share. Everything helps. 
That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.